You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. Welcome to Pros Like Us. Alex and Lou are back on the air again. Lou, I'm glad to have you. I I didn't expect that you were going to get back into this podcast game, but once I received an email from you, it was just, it was a pleasure to get you back on the air. Well, uh, a lot went into that email. It's been a few years, you know, I mean, almost six, I think. It, it, hard to say, you know. I mean, uh, did did a lot of uh, sp- a spiritual retreat, did a lot of traveling, and just uh, came to the conclusion, you know, looking at my life, what do I really love? And the answer is always the same: I love the NFL, right? Betting on it, talking about it, playing fantasy football, watching the game. I mean, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in the meantime, so I was like, hey, if I'm going to get back in, this is as good a time as any. And you were gracious enough to accept my uh, my offer, request, whatever you want to call it. And uh, here we are. We're going to talk about the NFL. This show is going to be dedicated. We're going to have interviews. We're going to invite people, some beat writers. And we're just going to share our opinions about what's going on in the NFL. Let's stay with that. I mean, the Chiefs, it's good to be a Chiefs fan right now. Yes. I mean, you were a a suffering Chiefs fan for so long. And all of a sudden, last year, they they finally won the big one. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah. I mean, I've been following them for many, many years. I don't want to date myself too much, but... uh, yeah, it's it's been a long time. They had never ever drafted and developed a quarterback with any success ever in their entire history. Len Dawson was a was a retread from the NFL that, you know, Hank Stram, his old coach at Purdue, brought him into the Dallas Texans and said, Hey, you know, quarterback my team. He was, you know, kind of a journeyman with the Steelers and the Browns and, you know, just kicking around the NFL. Um, none of those. I mean, Trent Green had some success, but that was a trade. Joe Montana obviously was a trade. You know, so they really it all started that day when they had the guts and the gumption to go up from 27 to 10 and trade with the Buffalo Bills of all teams, right, for that 10th pick. And Patrick Mahomes fell in their laps. Uh, they were happy. You know, there's a lot of skepticism at the time during the draft, but uh, that's when it started. Uh, Alex Smith tutored him. He got a chance to play, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. And uh, for the first time in I don't, my lifetime, at least, uh, they've got a franchise quarterback and uh, perhaps a generational talent. Uh, time will tell, but uh, so far, yeah, he's been pretty good. Andrew Reid knows quarterbacks. He really does, Lou. I think it all started when the Chiefs hired Andy Reid as their head coach. Well, that was a huge move. I mean, if you recall, I mean, he had just recently been uh, let go, if you will, parted company with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the conventional wisdom was he was just going to take a break. I guess at the time, you know, uh, the Hunt family reached out to him. They had a meeting in Philadelphia. And within, I don't know, six hours or so, 
came to terms. And uh, yeah, the the arrow has been going up ever since. I mean, he brought in uh, Alex Smith as kind of a, a, a bridge guy. They didn't know where the bridge was leading to, obviously. But uh, they had some success with Alex. I mean, they you know got into a couple of playoff games. You know, one regrettable one against the Colts where they had the huge lead and uh, couldn't hold it. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's you know for Donovan McNabb, uh, you know Michael Vick, Foles. Uh, I mean, pretty much everybody he comes in contact with somehow, some way, they get them to play up to their potential and beyond. So, yeah, he's he's done an amazing job, and, and his assistants as well. I mean, you look at Doug Peterson, Eric Bieniemy, uh Nagy, you know, they've, uh, they, they, they do an amazing job, and you can't say enough about him. Like I said, it's, it's a great time to be a Chiefs fan and just enjoy it while it lasts because – the Chiefs look like the best team in the NFL right now. I'm not afraid to say it because they are the, the Super Bowl champs and just everything seems to be clicking. I think you and I saw that during the, the Monday night game against the Buffalo. Yeah, Bears. well, I mean, you have to know misery to really know how great prosperity is. So, so I think if you've been a Chiefs fan for any length of time, yeah, you, you definitely feel that. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, you look at the game. They they ran the ball all over the Bills. Now, did all of a sudden they find a running game? Yeah, it was probably more so the way the Bills were playing them. Small boxes. They're playing really soft on the receivers, so the downfield plays weren't there. And to their credit, they were patient. Uh, there were some changes on the offensive line because of injury and just shuffling had some nasty guys and just were coming downhill and Clyde Edwards Alaire was running running hard and uh, things worked out but still when you're talking about you got to have that quarterback you still even though they ran it all over them they found themselves in a one possession game with the ball and had to make several third downs and Mahomes had to make some big plays with his feet with his arm, extending plays, finding receivers that are way down the depth chart, making plays like uh, Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle. But um, yeah, they, they they find ways, different ways to win, and that's how what it takes to be a great team. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is quickly becoming Mr. Monday Night because that seems to be the <laughs> day that he shows up under the bright lights. I mean, he had that dazzling performance against the Texans in week one. Now he has a career day against the Bills once again on Monday night. What do you think of the Le'Veon Bell signing? Is this a good move for the franchise? Is he just going to add to what they already have on offense? Are you on board? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you like Reed says, you never turn down a good player. And I think they really liked him when he was a free agent. He just really didn't fit the uh, the financial aspect of things, and I and I don't think he's going to fit the financial aspect of things moving forward. Meaning after this season, for the rest of this year, he is going to I think enhance Clyde edwards alaires talents. He is going to be a guy that they can use in red zone, a guy they can use in short yards because they really don't have any big backs. Damian Williams. Not a bit huge back, but he opted out of the season. There's some health issues in his family, so he, he opted out. 
Uh, they brought in DeAndre Washington, another smaller type guy that really hasn't played and has been on and off of the practice squad. So really, you get a guy that is seasoned, hasn't been on a good team in years, hasn't taken a, a huge beating lately, and you know, third down. I mean, they can use him as a slot receiver. They can put both of them on the field at the same time. It's actually going to be interesting to see how Reed moves him around. And also, if you recall, when he when he was a free agent or, or trying to force his way out of Pittsburgh, he was trying to get paid like an quote-unquote offensive weapon. I'm not just a running back. And that's probably how they'll use him. And, I mean, he is he's fresh. I mean, ever since sitting out uh, during that contract dispute for one year, he signed with the Jets, but he's had injuries. They've had an atrocious offensive line. I mean, Le'Veon Bell right now is, is has second life uh, at this point because the Chiefs' offensive line is is better by a mile than what the Jets have. So it's going to be interesting. I know that Andy Reid will know how to use him. He'll split him out as a receiver. He'll line him up in the slot. They'll use him on those running back screens, and they can just get creative with him and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because both guys can catch the ball out of the backfield. Both guys are elusive and in the open field. It's going to be interesting. Just People are not going to know if they're going to run the football or they're going to throw it. Both backs can can do both things, so that's, that's going to that's gonna be great. For, for the offense. The rich get richer, as they say. Definitely say the Chiefs are the best team by a mile right now. I don't know what's going to happen in, in week 17 once we get to the playoffs. Obviously, they have to stay healthy, but it, right now, they just clearly look like the best team. Hey, gang, we're joined now by Dave Burkett, the three-time Michigan Sports Writer of the Year, Hall of Fame voter, and uh, Detroit Lions beat reporter for the last uh, 10 years or so. Dave, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Well, all things considered, we are well, healthy, safe and sound and ready to rock and roll. Winning in the NFL is, is a difficult thing. You take wins however you can. Also, and I don't know if it was Parcells or somebody said that uh, winning covers up uh, a lot of warts. Now, it was Jacksonville, but uh, what were your takeaways from uh, the big win on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. You know, it's it's they got a win. The Lions needed a win. It was certainly a pretty complete performance. But uh, let's not go overboard. I mean, the Jaguars are one of the probably the three worst teams in the NFL right now. Uh, I got a bunch of rookies on that, that team. And, and rewatching that, you know, the All-22 film, the Lions just didn't pay them much respect on offense or defense. That was a game they should have won, and they should have won in the fashion that they did. Uh, they got a whole lot more, you know, tougher challenges ahead. The defense has been criticized all year, but against the Jags, it, it finally stepped up, especially that defensive line. Can they keep it up? Well, I don't know. You know, it's uh, I, that's the thing that I did for my film review on, on Tuesday um, on Freep.com. And, it's, look, I, I don't know that the pass rush is sustainable the way that the Lions played. I mean, they – you know, they, they blitz more than they typically have. Uh, that's something that they, they usually don't do, especially against the more veteran quarterbacks that they, they face. Uh, you know, they, they, they did some things, I think, that are sustainable. You know, there are a couple of small personnel changes, giving John Penasini a rookie a little more playing time, J. Ron Curse in the secondary. Um, but overall, I think I, I have my doubts that they're going to be able to, to keep up that consistent pressure going forward against some of the better teams left on their schedule. 
rookie running back DeAndre Swift finally had that breakout game. Why haven't they been featuring him more and giving him more touches before Sunday? Hey, you're speaking to the choir there. I'm, I'm a guy who's, who said that they should be giving DeAndre Swift more time. I, I get it. You know, Swift missed some time in training camp. They signed Adrian Peterson. You know, Peterson right now, just from a between the stack tackles running standpoint, is, is probably their, their most effective back. But look, Swift is a guy that you spent a second round pick on him, a high second round pick on him for a reason. He had some explosive ability both to the running game and the, the receiving game. Um, I'd like to see him get even more touches, uh, even though I, I realize that, you know, as a rookie, you know, there are going to be some things that he's a little bit behind some of those other guys on. You know, really the Lions will tell you it's it's been, you know, a part of the process for him, and I certainly get that to some extent. But now that we're through the bye week, now that we're a month plus into the season, I'd like to see more DeAndre Swift on the field. Don't you get the feeling that this coaching staff just doesn't trust rookies? They don't throw them into the fire. Is that seems to be your feeling about it? Well, I mean, you know, they carry on Johnson led the team in rushing as a rookie. You know, I, I think this is it's a special situation, obviously, with the season and the, the truncated training camp, you know, no off season, some of those things that, that have gone on. You know, they've, they've started a rookie, Jonah Jackson, at guard every single game and played him at both guard spots. So, I don't know if I'd say that across the board, but, um, you know, I, I do think that, hey, especially when, you know, you're looking for a spark when you're one and three or two and three now, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with putting your best playmakers on the field and trying to get the ball in their hands. Dave, has Jeff Okuda been a disappointment so far? You know, he hasn't played like you'd expect a number three pick in the draft to play, but, you know, I, I, I still am high on him and what he's going to be for, for this franchise. I mean, Look, he's he's had some struggles in pass coverage, especially those first couple of weeks when he was, you know, getting his feet wet against Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins, just a, a couple of the best receivers in the game. The guy has a lot of talent. You know, he's a big cornerback. He can do some some good things. I, I think he's still, you know, there's still some instances this past week. I know he didn't give up a lot of yards, but he got beat on an out and out up move against the Jaguars. So he's still very much a work in progress, but far too early to write him off as. Uh, you know, as anything other than a rookie just getting his feet wet in, in the first five games of his career. All right, Dave, uh, the team's two and three right now, as you mentioned. Uh, they play Atlanta this week. Uh, got some winnable games coming up on the schedule. If you had to, could you make a case for this team making a run for the playoffs? Well, certainly you look at the schedule between now and Thanksgiving. You know, they play one team with a winning record before then, and their next two games are against teams that are, are one in five or, or two of their next three, at least I guess the Colts are, are after the, the Falcons, but you know, the Vikings after that. So look, those are, those are games that if you fashion yourself as a playoff caliber team, which the lions do, you have to win those games. You know, there, there's no two ways about it. I think this week against the, the Falcons is going to be a tough game. I think they probably have some losses here in this, the six game stretch that's ahead, but if they go five and one against this, this, this group of teams that really is mediocre to, to worst teams in the NFL, then there's no reason that they won't be in the playoff, you know, in playoff contention with an extra wild card spot in each conference uh, when when December rolls around. All right, uh, talking with Dave Burkett here. He's the uh, beat writer for the Detroit Free Press for the Lions. Uh, Matt Stafford. Here's a guy. I mean, he he's put up great numbers in his career. He looks the part. He he just he's one of those guys. It just seems like whenever there's that play to be made, something goes wrong. 
at the end of the first game against Chicago with where Swift drops the pass in the end zone. I guess, Dave, can you think, I mean, 10 years covering the team, does, does Matt have a signature win? Huh. I mean, that's a question that a lot of Lions fans ask, and that's why a lot of Lions fans are, are ready to start over. We're ready to start over last year with the number three pick in the draft, which obviously the Lions didn't do. I mean, look, you know, Stafford has historically, you know, not won, or the Lions at least with, with him at, at quarterback have not won big games you know they didn't win any of the playoff games they've been in you know when they've had a chance to, to beat the Packers at the end of the season a couple times and the uh, or win the, the division they didn't do that so um, I don't know if if he has a signature win that that most people would would look as a signature win he's certainly done some good things in the fourth quarters during his career leading you know a bunch of comebacks I think it was what 2016 when he had those eight comeback victories Stafford to me uh, talented quarterback you can win with him you know, I don't know that anyone's looking at him as, as an all-pro guy, and there might come a time here in the near future where the Lions do decide to move on, but um, I don't think he's the biggest problem that the Lions have either. All right. Now, I guess, I guess more of a maybe the 10,000-foot view here. So, I mean, most you know winning organizations, winning teams, typically you've got ownership, front office, GM, the staff all kind of on the same page pulling in the same direction the Steelers for for years the Patriots I mean you can go on and on do you believe that this relationship either can get there between this staff this front office and then the players buying into this staff and this front office yeah I mean look the players have have not bought in the first two seasons especially in 2018 under Patricia. Um, you know, there's, there's no secret about that, uh, you know, and that's why Patricia moved on from a bunch of talented players. You know, Darius Slay, Quandre Diggs, um, there were a bunch of guys that sort of fell into that, that boat. Um, I think the locker room is, you know, we saw a little more harmony last year uh, just because Patricia had a few more of his guys. You know, I, I wish we had the open locker room to be around this year so I, I could give you some firsthand you know, analysis on, on where they stand right now. It's it's tough to do in, in this situation where everything is done remotely. You know, I, I think kind of like in any team, you can find players that, uh, you know, will, will go to bat for their coach no matter what. You can find some guys that love Patricia, and you can find some guys that could probably do without him too. So do I think they're going to get there? Um, you know, all signs point to no right now, frankly. Uh, but this is the year that's going to at least determine whether he gets another shot. These next six games, as we talked about earlier, are going to be a big part of that. Lions have some, some struggles here over the next month, then uh, they'll be looking for a new coach in 2021. All right, so you you make a, a case that if Matt Patricia doesn't have a winning season this year, he's as good as gone. Will GM Bob Quinn follow as well? Yeah, that's a little tougher question. I mean, you guys know that you know general managers typically get you know two bites of the apple. Uh, you know, his, his seat is warm, no doubt, but it, maybe it's you know a little cooler than than Patricia's. Um, you know, ultimately, I, I do think they're tied at the hip, and it might depend on exactly how how south things go this year. You know, if if things go bad, uh, Sheila Ford Hamp in, in her first you know real season as owner probably wants to change everything. You know, I mean, if 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 it's eight and eight, maybe there's something salvageable because I think a lot of people look at this roster right now and really have looked at this roster the last two years and have said the Lions should be better than their record. Um, you know, we're not talking about the Jets here. You know, we're not talking about the Jaguars. We're not talking about the Lions being on that level. We're talking about them being in, in sort of that that middle mediocre tier of NFL teams and needing to get over the top. Uh, right now, there's certainly questions about whether this regime can do that. 
All right, Dave, we're going to ask you to put your Hall of Fame voter hat on right now. Take a little historical uh, trip down memory lane. But uh, you've got one of the freakiest athletes ever to grace any field or court on the planet. Uh, Megatron, Calvin Johnson. I mean, obviously, he's he's just a, a generational talent. But do you believe he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer? And then furthermore, I guess... At some point, you you would probably be the one making the case for him, correct? I am. Yeah, that's this January or February. It's, it's up to me to, to make the presentation to the selection committee. Okay, so maybe if you can give us some snippets from that <laughs> that talk or what you might have so far that's not too personal that you can uh, yep. release to our fans. No, look, I, I I think he's worthy of being a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, I I guess I'm hopeful that he gets in. Maybe for myself, so I don't have to do this again as much as anything. But because um, this will be my first presentation to the committee, but I also am, am well aware of you know the the log jam that that typically happens at the wide receiver position. How you know very few first ballot guys at that position uh, there are historically. But look, uh, you said it. Kelvin is a generational talent. Uh, the things that he he did on the field. You know, I've I've talked to dozens of people about him so far old coaches and teammates and opponents and opposing coaches and and you know they all say a, a couple things roundly about him one you know he's look he played the game the right way he was you know after the quarterbacks he was the first guy in in the morning and, and the last guy to leave always taking care of his body um, he was the guy that every single defense for the entirety of his career game planned against and yet he still put up the numbers that he put up when he retired he was at least over that, you know, the, the nine year span, I think he had the the most yards in the first nine years of a, of a wide receivers, you know, career in the history of the NFL. So if I don't remember if it's first or, but it's somewhere in that top three, um, don't have the numbers in front of me. While the bottom line, you know, statistics may not be there because of the, the longevity only playing nine seasons. I think you look at what he did uh, while he was playing the numbers that he put up, you know, largest, receiving total in a single season in NFL history, you know, second biggest ever in a game, you know, some of the, the monster uh, plays that he had and in, in what he meant to a generation of, of receivers, you know, the, the big receivers that have come after him. I think Calvin Johnson is certainly worthy of being in camp. Uh, Gail Sayers just passed and uh, it seems like almost you could plug in the words Gail Sayers for everything you just said about Calvin Johnson. Well, that's, you know, people have said that, right? You, you look, Gail Sayers, Barry Sanders, I mean, some of these other guys that have had short but not, we're not talking Terrell Davis short, you know, careers. We're talking, you know, still a long enough career that you can put up some numbers. And Sayers, obviously, maybe not quite as long as, as Kelvin, but look, for when he was on the field, he was just, he was, to me, a Hall of Fame player is when you look at that player in his era and you say that guy is clearly one of the best at his position, defined that position for his era you know, an all-pro type of player, and Kelvin was exactly that, despite playing on, you know, what was one of the handful of franchises in the NFL for that time. Last question we got for you before we let you go. Why did Calvin walk away? What What's the real story, Dave? Yeah, look, I've talked to him about this a number of times. I mean, it's really a couple things. I mean, yes, the losing, you know, war on him. Yes, being a part of this, this organization, I think, war on him, but you know, and you talk to anyone who was around him, will tell you this. You know, Kelvin was his body was beat up at the end. I mean, I have a podcast posted, linked at the top of my my Twitter page right now. 
you know, he said he his dad talked him out of retiring the year before he actually retired. You know, that's after the Lions had that that really good team in 2014. And I'll tell you guys one last thing because I'm going to use this in my presentation. I'm sure Sean Jefferson, the former Lions receivers coach, ran into him at the combine about three years before Kelvin retired, and he said, "You know what?" He said, "The big fellows, he's only got about three years left." People in the organization saw the toll that t- you know the the game was taking on his body. And uh, ultimately, that's exactly what happened. Three years later, Kelvin walked away from the game. And I can tell you guys, he's happy now. He's spending time with his kids. You know, his body is feeling as good as it can. So I can never fault anyone for doing that. And Dave, please tell our listeners where they can find your works. Yeah, uh, Freep.com is our website, F-R-E-E-P.com. And you can always follow me on my Twitter page at Dave Burkett, B-I-R-K-E-T-T. Love to, happy to interact with people there. So hop on in and let's have a conversation. Thanks for being on the show. Cool. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, Dave. Yep. Yep. All right. We're back. And uh, let's get to talking about quarterbacks, Lou. I'm curious. I mean, we threw out a bunch of names out there, and we've got a lot of quarterbacks that we want to get through. Let's start with the situation with the Washington football team. I just I want to say the Redskins, but it's not politically correct anymore. Uh, so we'll stick with the Washington football team. What are they doing with Dwayne Haskins? Not only did they demote him, but they moved him from starting quarterback to number three quarterback. Is is Dwayne Haskins done? Washington? You know, it's really hard to say. I mean, first off, we're probably going to have to edit that part out. You know, the the, the Redskin thing. So uh, I'm, I'm just I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I you know I say it all the time. I still say San Diego. I still say Oakland Raiders. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's a hard hard habit to break, but uh, I mean it's just been a mess, you know, from from the beginning. Where you land as a rookie quarterback matters. I mean, where you land, you know, how functional is the situation before you get there, right? And unfortunately for Dwayne, he really didn't play a ton at Ohio State. He had that one year, right? And then all of a sudden he right. lands with a coach that by reports maybe didn't really want him right and then they go through you know he's in he's out he plays at the end of the year and he plays really well he takes the off season remakes his body you know he loses a bunch of weight tightens up looks like you know he's he's poised for uh, a good year and then the coronavirus hits there's no OTAs there's no truncated training camp if you would a new coach a, another new system so a lot of things have been stacked against him i don't know if he if if he's going to be a good player but i think uh we'll find out but more than likely on a different team if they were really so worried about him playing and not being ready they should have started kyle allen and then given Dwayne a chance to learn the system better, you know, whatever it takes or whatever they've needed for him to be ready and then let him play. But by doing this, I think it is kind of a signal that the dysfunction in Washington uh, will continue. And yeah, who knows? Maybe uh, it'll be Trevor Lawrence's job next year. We'll see. I think Rivera and that coaching staff figured out pretty quickly that Dwayne Askins wasn't the guy. It, it's pretty evident to me they just they realized it and they pulled the plug. When they demoted him to number three, that was a sign of things. 
maybe it's a sign of they want to see how he's going to respond to this adversity. Is he going to pout in the back room? Is he still going to be showing up in those quarterback meetings? Is he still going to be listening to the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach? Is he going to be rallying the team from the sidelines? I think maybe they're trying to see that. They're trying to see whether he's got tough skin. But I do agree with you. I think Dwayne Haskins is done as Washington. I just... He threw for four touchdowns and three interceptions and four starts. He had NFL's lowest total quarterback rating among the the starting QBs. I just, I don't see how they they bounce back from this. I realize that they went to Kyle Allen because Washington looks at this weak NFC East division. It really is atrocious. And Washington is saying to themselves, look, we've got one win, but we could still win this division because Dallas is leading the NFC East with, with, two and four record I think that's the case but you don't do this to a young quarterback if you actually believe that he's the guy you have to go through those growing pains you have to let him start and see if he can endure this full season he he only started like seven or eight games last year and he only started four games this year starting 11 or 12 games I don't think you will know whether you have the right guy and that, that's my problem with this benching, is that doesn't Washington want to find out after they spend a first-round pick on Dwayne Haskins whether he is the guy of the future? You would think. I mean, you really would. But again, new, new front office. They're not, they're not married to him. They didn't make the pick. You know, it's it just sorry to say, but, but I think there's plenty of people out there amongst the talent evaluators that had him rated fairly highly, that still believe in him. Obviously, he's still a young player. You know, again, going to the right, the the, the right uh, place has a lot to do with this. And if we move on to the next guy, Ryan Tannehill, he is. He's case in point, right? I mean, he he got beat up, beat up, knocked around in Miami. He's like this okay guy, you know, just an average starter in the NFL. Goes to Tennessee, much better situation. Uh, they know how to use him. They use him. They play to his strengths. Now, granted, he's got uh, you know a locomotive in the backfield that helps out a lot. But just the way they play and giving him an opportunity, you look at his numbers and wins and touchdown to to interception ratio in the last 16 games, he's up there in the top five of all those statistics. The one thing I would say is that he's got to show it in the playoffs. He didn't have to throw much against Baltimore, again, because of that locomotive they got in the backfield and just the way the game played out. In the Kansas City game, they got out ahead then all of a sudden the Chiefs come back and he didn't have any answers. So jury's still out, but he is playing great again in the regular season. Place means a lot, I think, with these guys. Yeah, he finally left the Dolphins and the so-called offensive genius and in Adam Gase and and found his offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. A lot of people are talking B enemy, a lot of people are talking about Greg Roman. Arthur Smith is going to be up there with those guys as a hot head coaching candidate next year. But if we're talking about the numbers, I mean, Tannehill has, this year, he has thrown for over 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns, and only two picks. 
He's completing nearly 70% of his passes. He excels on those play-action passes, and they play to his strengths, and he has developed into one of the league's best passers since taking over the starting job from Marcus Mariota last season. It's incredible to see stories like this. I remember Alex Smith not playing well with the San Francisco 49ers, and then he got his shot with the Kansas City Chiefs, and he resurrected his career, and everybody realized that he wasn't a bust. And I'm, I'm glad that a top 10 pick can resurrect his career in 2019, and, and people are talking about him now as a top five quarterback. Tannehill, but I mean, just, oh, by the way, how about the Alex Smith story? That's just just an amazing thing. If For anybody that watched that 30 for 30 and kind of, that kind of detailed what he had to go through to get his leg just to be able to walk again, just absolutely amazing that he was actually you know, able to play this year. How about our boy Baker? What, uh, what do we make of him? I'm amazing. You know the the Browns, the Browns certainly tease their fans, don't don't they? Uh, they started to they got the running game going. Chubb, Hunt, the offensive line, and limiting Baker to maybe like twenty to twenty five passes, play action. You know, don't put the game in his hands. And all of a sudden, you come up against the Steelers, and it's like. There's the guy that we saw, you know, last year. There's the guy that we saw in the Baltimore game the beginning of this year. So who is he? Uh, he's a great actor. does a great job on those commercials. But, I mean, I, I just don't know if, in his mind, I think he's, he's more athletic than he thinks. Or, no, no, he's less athletic than he thinks. Would you agree? I think Baker just doesn't know his limitations. I think at this point, he he believes he might be closer to Lamar Jackson. Always wants to, you know, extend plays. What he needs to do is get rid of the ball. He he holds on to the ball for too long. We saw him throw those two picks. He threw a, a pick on third down in the first quarter when Minka Fitzpatrick... The first one? I mean, that was, for, oh my for gosh. For a touchdown. That was awful. And then another INT on third and 12 in the second quarter. The pressure was applied. I mean, it was there, and he just made an an errant throw. If you look at his numbers, I mean, against the Steelers, he was 10 out of 18 for 119 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. He also took four sacks. And when he has a clean pocket, everything is fine. But, Lou... When you have OBJ, when you have Jarvis Landry, when you have Austin Hooper, and the offensive line is playing better this year, they finally found that left tackle from Alabama, Jedrick Wills. When you have a running game, when you have everything around you, and you're still not getting it done, to be fair... He wasn't 100% coming into the game. That's what the team said. He had a rib injury, and they took him out of the game just for those precaution uh, safety reasons. But he wasn't playing well. He didn't play well against the Ravens when they lost, and he didn't play well against the Steelers. I just think, again, it's the same situation like Dwayne Haskins. Kevin Stefanski in that front office, they're not married to Baker. And if you're not married to the quarterback, you're obviously going to move on from him. Right now, it's just you're seeing shades of what we saw during his sophomore. Right, and that offense is predicated on play action and running the ball. And it's, you know, they do have two all-pro receiving, you know, all-pro 
type receivers, not necessarily all pro recently, just because they're not putting up the numbers. And again, this offense really is a little bit different from that perspective is that they, they're not going to throw the ball around the yard. And I don't think they can with Baker. So uh, his numbers are never going to be that great, but they were winning some games against some lesser opponents. But I don't think he trusts himself. Like you said, he, he bails on clean pockets a lot because he just feels it's easier for him to, to get out and make plays. Uh, it's easy for me to sit here and say that, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, with the headset on and talking into a mic, but, you know, sit, to, to be able to sit in that pocket and deliver the ball. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen, you know, Mahomes doing, doing it a lot lately too. Now he's just more athletic and has better arm talent and everything else, but he does, he bails on clean pockets sometimes. So I don't know if it's, it's a function of those college offenses that they were in, just not being used to having that security of a, of a, of a good pocket. And they just bail because that's just the way they play. So that's something he's going to have to correct. And, and again, maybe it doesn't happen in Cleveland because they've done it in that offense. They've done it before without a number one pick at quarterback. And again, remember, uh, Kevin Stefanski had Case Keenum right. with the Vikings when he had yep. that career year. So Kevin Stefanski knows that Case Keenum can operate his system. He did it when he had Stefan Diggs. He had Adam Thielen there. Stefanski might look at the situation and say, hey, I can get the Browns into the playoffs with Case Keenum because I've already done that. I scored him a big-time contract. When, when he went on and had moved on with the Denver Broncos. But I think you just you have to look at the situation that Baker's leash is really short. If he struggles again in the next game, they're going to pull the trigger and they're going to put Case Keenum in. Yeah, and I think he did come in at the end of the, the Pittsburgh game, and I don't know if that was due to injury or, or whatever. But, yeah, this is Stefanski's job. He has to win. Hey, it's not his job to make Baker you know, a, a great quarterback. He needs to win. So that, that may be the case. And like you, you were talking about limitations before, I think Case knows who he is, and he'll play within his limitations, and that's probably the, the route that they're going to go. Um, obviously, you know, one of the biggest player moves ever, uh, happened in the, in the off season. It's been talked about, you know, since it came up and for months and Tom Brady is playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And sometimes it's even hard to say. And when you see him wearing that uniform, it still doesn't feel real, but there he is. He's the same guy chewing people out, holding people accountable, uh, and yeah, I don't know if that w- that played too well with the, with the players down in Tampa, but they certainly responded against Green Bay. Zero penalties, zero turnovers, <laughs> and everything else. So, so what do you think about about Tom being like this? Uh, basically, the the IBM blue suit guy uh, going somewhere where they wear Tommy Bahamas and flip flops. He's like the elder statesman, you know, in his forties, going in there. And the Bucks are still trying to get used to to winning. Can you imagine like going from Winston to Tom Brady? That, that's a contrast in, in terms of, you know, professionalism and everything that they do out there. Tom didn't have any weapons with the Patriots the past couple of years. I mean, with all due respect to Julian Edelman, he didn't. But I'm looking at this Bucks team and Mike Evans, 
Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin. I mean, we can go on and on. And the running back, Ronald Jones, is is a different animal this year. He looks like a different player. He's already had like three 100-plus yard uh, games out there. He is carrying that team. Tom Brady doesn't have to be that guy. We all saw what happened against the Chicago Bears. Well, against the Packers, they were efficient. And they did it the old-fashioned way by playing good defense and running the ball. And that's another surprising part. Like last year, Todd Bowles took that defense and they played better in the second half of the year. But this year, this team just looks a lot more comfortable running that system. Another guy, Todd Bowles has been a head coach in this league. Another guy that deserves a second shot uh, coordinator that, that should be interviewed for a few jobs. That's what's surprising to me. I didn't expect that the Bucks. Oh, we're going to be this good. Defense. Yeah, well, I think right now that's what's going to carry them. While you know Brady's Brady and the the gang is is uh, you know working out the kinks on the offense, what they want to be, how they want to be, uh, but the weapons definitely are there. They're not turning the ball over, you know, three or four times a game like when when Jameis was there. So, and then I mean, we come to Carson Wentz. Bless his soul. I mean, he's got to be like one of the toughest guys in the league uh also one of the unluckiest guys in the league because it seems like every single year it's just an injury nightmare i don't know if it's the strength and conditioning there i don't know if it's something in the water or, or the field that they play on i don't they don't play at the vet anymore i mean it's a you know it's a grass field whatever what do you make of carson i mean he just does more with nothing i mean he's he's throwing a greg ward Travis Fulgham, Ertz is now injured. Goddard went out, I think, in the first or second game. Uh, Rager, the 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 receiver that they that they took in the draft from TCU, I haven't seen Deshaun Jackson maybe one or two plays this year. Uh, Jeffries has not been on the field. I mean, how does how does he do it? Fortunately, they're in the in the NFC East. But just talking about him as a quarterback, how does he maintain? all the poise and the mechanics and everything else while there's just chaos around him. Well, he hasn't been doing a good job with that, but can you blame him? You've already mentioned (laughs) that most of his wide receivers are out. I mean, Greg Ward, Fulham, uh, you know, they've got John Hightower. Those guys are undrafted free agents. And then Rager, he was supposed to be that downfield threat that they took in the first round. Well, they should have taken Justin Jefferson, I guess, who went to the Vikings a pick later. I, I don't blame him. I, I realize that people are jumping on this. They're saying, look, Wentz has already thrown nine interceptions this season. He doesn't look accurate. He's making bad decisions. Well, can you can you blame him for forcing the action i mean he's trying to make plays knowing that guys aren't in the right spot that the offensive line i mean his starting offensive line is out right now i mean they're playing second and third stringers right now it seems like that offensive line is always banged up every year you need to have continuity up front and he doesn't have that so i'm not saying carson Wentz was ever a top three top five quarterback lou but he's certainly not the quarterback that he has regressed to be this year. Like, let's take this week's game. It was against, obviously, they played against the Ravens. And through the first three quarters, Carson Wentz looked the same, like he did Awful. throughout yes. the year. 
But in the fourth quarter, in the fourth quarter, when the game was on the line, he took that team and he drove them a couple of times downfield and he got them in position for that two-point conversion. And that's the point, that's the heart and soul. I mean, Carson Wentz has got it. He's got that it factor. He can pull those boys and win the game in the end. And against a very good Baltimore Ravens squad, and they lost that game 30-28. to So I'm somewhere in the middle with Carson Wentz. I don't think he, he was ever a top three, top five quarterback in this league, but he's not what he has shown this year. He's somewhere middle of the road. Hey, he, he's better than half of the quarterbacks that are playing in the NFL. Well, I right think now. we'll be talking about him like sort. Of, well, I wouldn't say sort of like Tannehill's position, but I guess a little bit different. But I just think that if he, if they ever do get this, the offensive line straightened out and healthy, if they ever do get a, his full complement of receivers along with a healthy Miles Sanders, his play will just increase exponentially so i i don't i don't have any doubt that as long as they can keep him healthy with this ragtag bunch that he's playing with that once it does come around i think he will show the type of player that he really is philly's next three games are all against the nfc east Wentz will be facing weak competition in the near future and i think we'll see more wins from the philadelphia eagles because so far they've played a tough schedule that leads us to our next question. I mean, which NFL team, Lou, with the winning record, don't you oh, trust? I, I've got three of them, actually. But, wow. but I'm going to stick All with right. I'll, I'll tell you the All three, right. but I'll stick with one. I mean, Cleveland, obviously, they're at four and two. The Rams, you know, I'm not – the Rams, that one's probably the – they're 4-0 against the NFC East. We keep talking about the NFC East because it's just a dumpster fire, and I, somebody has to win that division, right? But, uh, and then the Bears at 5-1, and one, you know, I'm not sure how they're doing it. Kind of with mirrors, the defense is playing good at times. Foles can't look – watch any of their games and really see anything consistently on offense – there's real no identity to the team, so I guess I would I would go with uh, the Browns because of the the situation with Mayfield, and I just don't see him straightening it out that quickly to get this this team going. But if they permanently go to uh, Case Keenum, then maybe that that changes. But I think those those three teams really scare me a little bit. I'm gonna go with the Bears, Lou. I just hasn't been pretty this season but i'm looking at their record they're five they and are. one and i'm asking Ow. myself the question <laughs> how are they doing it i mean i watched that bucks game and they shouldn't have no. won that game they just detroit they detroit should be and that's too. been that's the type of season that it's been for the bears they have a good defense and it's carrying them they have Khalil Mack up, up front. They've got Roquan Smith at linebacker. They've got Eddie Jackson in the secondary. So they've got those pieces. I don't trust their offense. They can't run the ball. Nick Foles is throwing ducks out there. And they don't have anyone better. If Nick Foles gets pulled, then it's Mitch Trubisky. Right. And that's even worse. He already lost his job for Nick Foles. So the Bears are well, kind of hanging th- in. the next three games are not going to be easy. They play at the Rams. And then they play New Orleans at home, and then they play at Tennessee. So those three games, I think, are going to we'll tell us a lot. We'll find out pretty quickly, <laughs> right? We'll, we'll find out pretty quickly that the Bears are just—they're fake. 
I mean, let, let's just call it what it is. I mean, it's just fool's gold right now. I don't see this team finishing with the winning record. I think they're 8-8 eight and eight at best, and that's a tough division in the NFC North. Right now, they're leading it, but I see the Packers running away with it. Uh, I just I think the Bears are going to miss the playoffs. I, I don't trust them at all. I think their play calling on offense has been suspect. Your boy, Matt Nagy, is the head coach there. I mean, he should take some of the heat as well. It's not all on quarterbacks, and he just hasn't found that rhythm, and I will definitely go with the Bears there. How about an NFL team with the losing record that you believe in after a slow start that can make a Well, run? I mean, again, I guess going back to the, the NFC East, I mean, that's kind of the low-hanging fruit there because one of those teams has to make the play. So maybe we should leave them out because I mean that you can just put that put those names in a bag, pull one out, and it could easily be that team. I mean, it's just there's no rhyme or reason or consistency to any of those four teams. Maybe Philadelphia because because they have the the best quarterback of the bunch. But again, that's not saying much because of what what else they have left. Let's remove them. I would say. Um, I'm looking at New England, Atlanta, Detroit. So I, I pulled three teams with, with losing records. New England, I think probably of those three, has the best chance because they know who they are. We give them a little bit of a pass for losing to Denver this week because they hadn't practiced in so long. This was Cam's first game back in a few weeks. I think Belichick will kind of figure it out and, and he'll get them moving. Now, Miami looks really good, and oh, by the way, I believe Tua will start after the bye week. I don't believe that. I, I, it was reported, I should say. It's been reported that he will start after the bye week, so November 1st will be Tua's first start. So they're, they're playing. They're 3-3, three and three, but that's a tough team. I mean, Buffalo, again, it's hard to say with them kind of looking not so, really not that good the last two games. It was against Kansas City and Tennessee, two really, really good teams. So uh, that's going to be a tough division. But I, I still, you know, you can't go against Belichick there. I mean, the long shot would be Atlanta, and that's only because of all the offensive weapons. And you just hope maybe that Raheem Morris being that that voice, that that holding people accountable and the, the kick in the ass to get these guys moving can spark them. But, again, that's a tough division and uh, – yeah, so I would have to say New England. I'll also go with the Patriots. They're they're two and three. Uh, what we saw against the Denver Broncos, you can't fault them. You you can't hold it against them. The facility was closed for two weeks, and their best player was out. They couldn't practice and and get ready for that game. The defense is still good. I think they gave up thirty five points against the Seahawks in week two. But other than that, the defense has been holding its own. Maybe not as good as they were last year, but I just I believe in Cam Newton. I believe in Bill Belichick. I look at their schedule, and I just think they they can definitely win seven games and and get to nine and seven. And the Patriots will still be a dangerous team come playoff time, just because of all the experience that they have at quarterback and on the coaching uh, staff out there on the sidelines. So I'm I'm with you on this. It's it's the New England Patriots that. Seems to be the easy answer. That probably going to be another team, but that, that's the squad yeah, that we're It's going a little to. off script right now, but yeah, I think yeah, going yeah. back to, I mean, the Dwayne Haskins benching can actually uh, increase Cam Newton's market, don't you think? 
because New England has to be thinking maybe you know maybe we can sign this guy for a couple of years and because he seems to be again so far he's kind of acclimating to the whole thing and he's playing well so now all of a sudden you know if he's got another team that's out there Riverboat Ron saying hey you know let's let's draft a quarterback but let's get Cam in here for a couple of years and he can start so I think the Patriots might look at drafting oh, yeah. a quarterback. They're not going to be in that. They're not going to be in that top five range, and they're going to be out for Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. But they might look at some other quarterbacks at the end of the first sure. round, like Trey Lance from North Dakota State, who has entered the draft, or possibly Kyle Trask, who is who's playing well out there in Florida. I would say they're they're going to be out there in in the quarterback market. We'll see. I know Cam Newton is not going to be back because if he continues down this path and he puts together a strong year, New England is just not going to sign him and he's going to go elsewhere. I'm just surprised that the rich get richer. I mean, how does Cam Newton wind up with the Patriots and not with with the other franchises? Well, I mean, nobody wanted him. I always ask how many teams. Well, they waited. I mean, when did New England sign him? Was it like in June? <laughs> or May. I mean, it was late. Yeah, it was really late. Nobody right. wanted to. Sign he couldn't get in for physicals because of the uh, all the protocols, or there were. I don't even know if there were protocols in place. It was just okay. No, we're not going to have people traveling to to take physicals. You know, all this and they're like, yeah, sure. Hey, we'll give you this incentive late. I mean, just a team friendly, just roll of the dice. And but I think I I. I truly believe there's a chance he does re-sign there, but maybe just like a two-year deal, and they still draft a quarterback to come in, kind of like they did with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's it's just a, a different situation, but it helps Cam that maybe there's some other teams out there now that say, "Hey, maybe he still he still has it. We'll you know we'll throw our hat in the ring." We look at the NFL today in 2020, and the overall scoring is up all across the board by a full two points. It's getting crazy. And we all know that the NFL loves high-scoring games. It brings the fans, and people are glued to the TV. And the referees favor the offense in terms of the defensive pass interference calls, the, the holding calls, and everything goes against the defenses. This isn't the New England Patriots playing the Rams in the Super Bowl when you can hold the receiver and not <laughs> allow him to, to get off past 5, 10, 15 yards. Will the defenses well, catch up? Know, I guess history tells you eventually they will not to the point that it used to be in the past but uh anymore the way you look at defense is not so much uh, i mean just throttling the other team and shutting them down completely it's just not going to happen i mean in a lot of cases if you hold the team to field goal attempts you you look at that as a win uh just keep them out of the end zone so uh, Maybe to a degree. I mean, you see, you've seen that somewhat with some of these teams, the way the way they're playing, the Chiefs kind of slowing them down, making them take the small dump offs, go like on you know longer drives with longer drives, more plays, more chances for mistakes, penalties, turnovers, you know whatever it happens to be. And if they got to kick a field goal, hey, you know we'll we'll take that. I don't know that they ever catch up. I mean, just from from a from a betting perspective track this stuff, you know, look at this stuff every week. There were, I think, eight games where the over and under total, the the total points to go over or under, 
was over 50 points. Eight. Just going back a few years, it would be rare that you would have one. Usually, you know, mid-40s, high-40s, and it was a really, really high-scoring teams. But there were eight games where over-unders were over 50, and there was at least three of them that were close to 56. No, I don't think they're going to catch up completely. Yes, the referees have a lot to do with it, which ergo the league has a lot to do with it, with, you know, kind of biting uh, or holding the whistle, short-arming, the uh, trying to pull the flags out for holding and and uh, offensive pass interference, I guess, because, you know, these guys are getting away with murder downfield. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's more enjoyable for the fans to watch. Yeah, it's frustrating when those calls don't get made for your team, but people want offense. This year, it's been different. It's been a lot of empty stadiums. There have been a lot less fans in the stands. Does a home field advantage even exist in 2020? Man, you still believe in that? It's it's really no. I mean, it, it because you've got the, the opposing quarterbacks go in and there's literally no noise. They can make changes and everybody can hear it. There's no silent count. You can hear them watching the game. You could you can kind of hear the cadence and so forth. So if you've got a quarterback that's really heady, and most of them are, can get get out, get in and out of bad plays. So I think that's probably you know helping the scoring as well. Plus the fact where you say, oh geez, they have to go on the road. Well, is it really that bad? I mean, if Kansas City is one of the few places that are allowing people in the stadiums, and I think they get like fifteen thousand people. Uh, Dallas, I think, is up as many as twenty-five thousand people because the place is a, you know, place is a cavern, you know, I mean, whatever. But not very many places, and you got like four or five thousand people versus fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people screaming at the top of their lungs, and you're the road quarterback. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, that, I, I think that's probably contributing to to higher scoring as well, and road wins being a little bit easier to have. Actually, the numbers don't reflect that. I mean, if you check the numbers this year, I wouldn't say that the the road team is winning more games than the home dog. And um, especially this week, that wasn't the case. The the home team won, I think, more games than the away team. But I do agree with you that the heady veteran quarterbacks that that can take the, the hard count, that can they make the defense jump like Aaron Rodgers, like Patrick Mahomes, like Ben Roethlisberger. It's favoring those away, smart, intelligent quarterbacks that can use it to their advantage. And I would say that's probably the biggest thing, that there's no pressure on the away quarterback. The only thing is you're staying in some hotel room. You're not sleeping in your bed. But overall, I think the away team just feels more comfortable being at the stadium because you feel like it's like they're at practice somewhere. So, Lou, it's been a pleasure. Uh, obviously, it's the first episode, and we'll be back next week. I'm looking forward Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. Uh, we'll shake some of this. Well, I'll shake most of this rust, rust off, and we'll get smoother as we go. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been great, and uh, look forward to the rest of the season. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Pros Like Us. Peace. Take care, folks.